Today, all over the world, there are thousands of Sino-Soviet intelligence agents with money to burn, looking for unsuspecting targets for exploitation among members of our forces. In here. What have you been up to? Um, I just finished. Uh, I just finished. Um, After Dark by Haruki Murakami. I finished that mm-hmm. uh, Saturday, Friday night, actually. Um, I've been reading The System of Objects by um, Baudrillard. Oh yeah, nice. And I've been reading that in conjunction with um. With Infinite Jest, I've finally decided to give Infinite Jest another go go around. So hopefully I actually finish it this time. Um, and yeah, you've, you've, uh, had, just, you've had Infinite Jest for a while now, right? Yeah, I've tried to read it and I think I got like 400 pages in and I was just like, fuck this and stopped reading it. So I'm like mm-hmm. rereading it now. But, um, well, rereading the part that I have read now. I'm on like page 200 or something. So, um, but literally tonight, I just got finished. Like before we started recording, I got finished uh, rewatching Drive. <laughs> I fucking love that movie. So, so yeah, because I I I posted last night when I was a little sloshed uh, that Drive was the best movie ever made, um, <laughs> and uh, I was just like, I haven't seen Drive in like eight years, so I don't know if it's like still a really good movie or not. Oh, and, that's uh, great. Yeah, it was uh, it was definitely a great great movie. Um, it's 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 interesting too because it's the only movie that I like uh, by uh, Nicholas Winding uh, Refn. Yeah, he, I, I like that's the only movie I like of his. And I tried watching the Neon Demon, but I couldn't get into it. Is the Neon Demon him, or is that uh, the Ryan Gosling one? Because Ryan Gosling directs a movie that's um that's like a Nicholas Winding Refn film. Oh, I don't know. I thought I thought it was Nicholas Winding. I thought I thought the Neon Demon was. It probably is. Um, I just know that. Um, I just know that Ryan Gosling was like, I really like this director, and so he directed one. Yeah, it's it's Nicholas mm. Winding reference. I've never seen this movie. I should probably watch this. I've uh, I liked his. Uh, have you ever seen? Um, oh, you like Bronson? Oh yeah, I did yeah we? Wa- I remember watching Bronson. Yeah, that's right. I guess yeah. I guess I guess I don't remember that one as being because he's such a. I don't know. I just that isn't that doesn't seem like his his style. Like you'll see when when I watch the neon uh, when I watch the uh, neon demon, uh, it's it's got like it's definitely just it, it's his it's his style. I mean, it's it's almost like you you see a lot of similar uh, you see a lot of similar cinematic patterns in the neon demon and. Uh, drive just like in terms of like the music and the the pace of the movie yeah he's um he's danish so he wrote let's see he's known for directing the pusher trilogy i don't know what that is bronson valhalla rising drive only god forgives the neon demon Mm -hmm. and the crime series uh too old to die young i've never seen any Mm -hmm. of these except for drive and then um Bronson. Um, Diana and I are watching the uh, Sopranos for the first time. We've never watched it before. We just got. Oh to, wow! Uh, yeah, I've never watched. I've never watched a single episode of it. I mean, it's it's got this. You know, it's it's got this huge presence uh, in the in on the internet and on Twitter and, and in the, uh, the the Italian the Italian Twitter world. 
and I, I mean i love all of the i love all of the uh, the posts about uh you know the 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 thing you treated where they did the they recreated the uh, like the the Roman emperor or whatever his name was, and it's like, hey, throne, yeah. I'm a fucking Roman emperor over here. I'm a fucking Roman emperor over here. Come on. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's pretty great. His first, I think it's his first English language movie. Nicholas Winding Refn did uh, a film trilogy called The Pusher, and it's in mm. Danish. It's the first English movie after that that trilogy is um Valhalla Rising with Mads Mikkelsen. And it's about mm -hmm. it takes place in the year 1096 AD and follows a Norse warrior named One Eye and a boy as they travel with a band of Christian crusaders hoping to find the Holy Land. Whoa. Sounds fucking awesome, dude. <laughs> yeah, it does. I think that's that um when they announced, when Netflix announced that they were doing the uh, the Witcher series, everyone wanted Mads Mikkelsen to play Geralt, and I think a lot of people were taking images of uh, Mads from that movie and were like photoshopping uh, Geralt of Rivia's eyes onto him. So I think that's where I think that's where a lot of that imagery came from. Yeah, I'll have to check that out too. Yo, bro, I have to. I'm gonna have to watch every single one of his movies now. <laughs> like, yeah. the, all of them seem fucking dudes rocks. Like I've never seen the Neon Demon. But um, mm -hmm. I'm reading like all these movies, and it's like a fucking drug dealer. Like, <laughs> it's like yeah, pretty much. <laughs> okay. Um, oh, for some wow. reason, for some reason, I get Nicholas and uh, Michael Mann mixed up. I don't know why, but I do. Like they're 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 movies. Yeah. Um, he, I mean, Michael Mann's a big uh, big um, cr uh, criminal, like you know, movie guy too, with a uh, heat and. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, he did. Um, Last of Mohicans and um, the Insider, I think, with Russell Crowe, the the one where he's just like the tobacco industry is bad oh, for yeah. you. Yeah, it's like shocker, dude. <laughs> how how did you not like people have been smoking this fucking herb for like <laughs> you know like forever? <laughs> yeah. How did yeah. you not know it was bad for you? It's just like all right. <laughs> There's like oh yeah, I'm just coughing up my fucking lung. It's like well, you know what? You need more tobacco. So you ready to start talking about what was it chapters three and four of uh, of yeah. uh, state and revolution? Okay, cool. So um, <clears throat> yeah, so I actually um, over the long you know uh, break that we had since last time recording, just like uh, uh, you know life and everything, but I, I actually ended up finishing um, finishing state and revolution. So yeah, yeah, I think you said you you read all of it. Um, I just stopped after chapter four though. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but so let's talk about chapter three called experience of the Paris commune of 1871 colon Marx's mm -hmm. analysis. Um, so I, I, I want to hit, hit right out the gate here. It's literally in the first paragraph. Um, it says Marx did not assume the rigid attitude of pedantically condemning an untimely movement as did the ill-famed Russian renegade for Marxism. Plekhanov, who in November 1905 wrote encouragingly about the workers and peasant struggle, mm. but after December 1905 cried liberal fashion, they should not have taken up arms. Um, so what I want to say here uh, about this part is you kind of see this and I think like a real world parallel that would do, do great for us is talking about is like 
it's it's uncool on like Twitter or on the internet in general to have like convictions of anything. Like right. if you notice like a lot of the like former leftists and stuff on Twitter have kind of like been like, oh, the left is dumb because they actually believe in something, you know. Um, mm. And yeah, they they have valid critiques and stuff, obviously. But at the same time, like I do want to, you know, say that it's not a new it's not a new thing where where people, um, you know, it's it's easier to after the fact to go, hey, um, you know, th- these people were dumb for doing this thing. Whereas like in the middle of it, you know, he's praising them. Mm. But he said that it's only, you know, it was only an untimely movement to Plekhanov because, you know, in, in 1905, uh, you, know, you know, he wrote in November of 1905 encouragingly about it. But in December of 1905, literally like a month later, he said they should not have taken up arms. Yeah, it's almost like, you know, I think one of the I think one of the criticisms we see nowadays is like, and it's usually a go to one, but it's like you know every every like leftist movement has uh, leftist revolution movement, you know, any kind of uh, any kind of armed effort, you know, we not I don't think. They say that it's failed, but they that you don't you just don't see you don't see armed leftist movements today. And so, like, I mean, maybe what uh, maybe what I'm trying to get at is like it's it's like after a month, you know, in November, he's basically saying, you know, it's it's almost like he he's sharing a simple argument that a lot of people share, like, oh, it's it's pointless because most most leftist movement most left movements don't really. Uh, gain any steam anyway so it's almost like he did a 180 on it too like a lot of people do you know it's like you like when uh i don't know it's like i remember at the when at the height of the uh the protest last summer you know somebody was like i think like one of the uh one of the post left or like uh guys i can't remember who it was but it was like you know all this is pointless like like nothing's gonna nothing's gonna come out of any of these protests or anything and oh like crk yeah, probably. I think that's who it was. Someone like that. But um, I mean, it's got that. It's got that same kind of energy here. Uh, is so. Yeah, I, 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 I see what you're saying there too. Yeah, I mean, it's like, um, like I was saying, it's it's uncool to have convictions of any kind, right? Like, it's it's not right. like it's not cool. Like, what's cool is like tweeting about something, and and what's uncool <laughs> is like actually wanting to change things, which is like. I mean, I, I agree like with the analysis and stuff a lot of the time, which is like um, there's a lot of them. Um, and I always, you know, decry them as anarchities, right? Which is just mm-hmm. like anarchists who and, and uh, um, <laughs> what's funny is uh, 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 like Lenin in this book actually starts like shit talking anarchists, which I find pretty funny. Um so like the anarchy, you know, mm-hmm. there's a lot to criticize about that. But like, you know, if a person's like a, a like a quote unquote leftist or a Marxist or whatever, mm-hmm. whatever they want to identify as, um, you know, in terms of their politics, and then they like care about something, it's like uncool. It's like you guys are losers. Like neoliberalism's one and everything. It's just like, come on, like <laughs> have like a single conviction. But that's I just right. wanted to go, you know. Oh yeah, well, our our politics now, well, like the people in our politics that have or at the forefront of them have no conviction that you know about anything like i don't think i've ever well i mean other than bernie i actually believe bernie was the only one that speaks with any kind of conviction about anything really mm. um 
And so that's why it really did suck that he, you know, uh, he had to bow down to, to Joe. But because um, I really, I mean, Joe, if anything, I feel like, I feel like Kamala, I mean, who also just doesn't have any kind of convictions about anything like it's like it's it's like the the thing we always say joe's just really there now like he's just you know he's 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 ushering in you know kamala's uh regime so it feels like that you know it's just no convictions and I th- it, when you when you have no convictions you just don't have anything so like i feel like we're just gonna have four more years of nothing really and that's just it's fucking awful mm-hmm um, but yeah, it's the, I think most of this, this first part of chapter three, you know, it's, it talks about the, uh, just t- kind of touches on how the communist manifesto kind of came out of the, the Paris commune. Um, and, uh, I didn't really get much from it other than just, uh, he, he's, he's doing a lot. He's just doing what he does, uh, what we we saw him do in the last previous chapters and that's he's taking a lot of Marx's ideas and kind of elaborating on them and, and like I said, I like I like I like this and I'm reading this is easier than reading Capital was for me at least. I I kinda wish I would have read this first because I think he's just breaking this down a little bit easier and it's easier for me to follow. Um and then uh even in the part two you know what? What do what we? What do we replace the the smash state machine with? And we even kind of touched on that. You know, it's like a about the withering away of the state and uh, winning the battle of democracy is essentially is what he uh, he touches on. Yeah, he um before just right before that part, he talks about how um <clears throat> there needs to be a, a breaking up and the shattering of the ready-made state machinery because. What happens is that the state machinery becomes, you know, ready-made in um, mm-hmm. the Anglo-Saxon world, right? Both in England and America. Um, he says that they represent like this quote liberty unquote in the sense of the absence of militarism and bureaucracy. It's plunged, <laughs> it's plunged uh, headlong into all the European dirty, bloody morass of military bureaucratic institutions to which everything is subordinated and which trample everything under foot. So. Um, he talks about how, uh, um, what happens in, in America and England is they kind of perfect this, um, state machinery that allows them to, um, bring European imperialism to perfection, right? Because you kind of have to realize too, like a little historical context is that like Lenin, right, is Russian. So like, even though part of Russia is in Europe and some of it's in Asia, you know, like part of Eurasia or whatever, but like Russia doesn't have the same like shared history with the rest of Europe as like the rest, you know, as the rest of Europe, the European countries. Um, So he said that a people's, what you need to, uh, um, a people's revolution would actually sweep the majority into its current. It could be only embraced both by the proletariat and the peasantry. Both classes then constituted the people, right? So, um, Yeah, it talks about how the oppressive bureaucratic and military state machinery uh, oppresses, crushes, and exploits them. So you have to shatter this machinery and to break it up. This is the true interest mm-hmm. of the people, right? So he talks, you know, he talked about this earlier. How um, 
Proud Hone and the difference between marks is that Proud Hone wanted to use the wanted to change like as a social democrat wanted to vote essentially to change the state machinery but Lenin here is explicitly saying that the state machinery machinery is used to um crush the the people right the quote unquote people which is the proletariat and the peasantry mm-hmm. um well yeah and it's it's like saying uh well he also he argues that you can't you can't fight uh you can't fight a system with uh you can't fight the systems you can't fight against the system with wet tools of the system, you know, like you can't, if you, if you just continue to use the tools of, of parliamentary, you know, parliamentary and, and voting, like, it's just, it's, it's not going to, um, you know, you can't, you can't fight capitalism with, you know, capitalistic ideas, you know? Um, and I, and so I like, I like the, his language here is, you know, smashing and, you know, and essentially destroying because, you know, this is, ultimately a call for a violent revolution you know it's without without violence or without you know destruction of uh the this the state machine he's saying it's it's you know it's 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 a lost cause essentially yeah um definitely um and he also says that marx kind of answers um the question in the communist manifesto in a purely abstract manner talking about what is to replace the shatter state machinery stating, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he says that Marx kind of states the problems rather than, you know, talks about the solution. Um, so he said that like the difference between a Marxism and a utopianism is that Marx waited for the experience of a mass movement to produce the answer to the problem mm-hmm. as the exact forms, which is organization of the proletariat as the ruling class will assume and as to the exact manner in which this organization will be combined with the most complete, most consistent establishment of democracy. So um, he talks about how the experience experiment of the commune, um, he has his most careful analysis of it in, in the civil war in France. Um, right. Because he, he talks about how, like, even though it was a failed, it was a failed experiment. It was still a, a, a someone trying to, you know, um, create a, like a workers, um, like a worker society, right. Uh, you know, a proletariat ruled society. Yeah. And, um, I like the quote he, he pulls from the, uh, the civil war in France, the analysis of the civil war in France. And he says, uh, um, the, the direct antithesis to the empire was the commune, you know, it's, it's the specific form of the republic that was not only to remove the uh, the mon the monarchical form of the class rule, but the class rule itself. Yeah, I like that. That's good stuff there. And so, uh, you know, the specific form of the uh, what was the specific form of the proletarian socialist republic, and what was the state it began to create? And he says, Marx says, the first degree of the commune, therefore, was the suppression of the standing army, and the substitution for it of the armed people. So. You know, it's it's about dismantling the current suppressive army and replacing it with not a suppressive army, but armed people, you know, armed workers. Right. Um, the reason why the army and the police force would be abolished in this type of society is because um, is because what would happen is like those forces are specifically used to crush the, the, the workers, right. The, the, mm-hmm. the people, the quote unquote people. So you would need a, um, 
a special force. And what Lennon talks about in the um, dissolving of the um, of the special force would be within the like the dissolving of the state. You would no longer need a special force. That is, you'd have to have. Um, I think he calls it. I don't remember where it is, but he calls it the vanguard of the proletariat. And this vanguard mm-hmm. essentially is this this force that would stop. He says, um, you know, the the special force for suppression is no longer necessary once the majority of people itself mm-hmm. suppresses its oppressors. In this sense, the state begins to wither away. Instead of the special institutions of a privileged minority, privileged officialdom, heads of a standing army, etc., the majority can itself directly fulfill all these functions, and the more the discharge of the functions of the state power devolves upon the people generally, the less need is there for the existence of this power. Yep. So, he not only thinks that, um, but he, he also says in this uh, in this same um, part that all officials without exception elected and subject to recall at any time their salaries were, this is this is part of his um his idea of a socialist uh, mm-hmm. a, a socialist um uh, society that their salaries will be reduced to working man's uh, wages because um essentially it would be the most democratic and it would get rid of the um it, it would get rid of the special place that um, that officials hold in mm-hmm. our society. And he also uses this phrase. He says that um, this, uh, this method of the state withering away will mm-hmm. serve as a bridge leading from capitalism to socialism. Cause you have to realize, like, I think a lot of people forget this is like when you say, Oh, I'm a communist or whatever people think that you're just like a utopian because you think, Oh, like, and, and a lot of people actually do think this uh, way is that yeah. uh, overnight, the, so like the revolution, you cut off people's heads, like the revolution ensues and you're like, all right, great. We've, we've killed all the bourgeoisie. Now right. communism's <laughs> here. But like Lenin kind of makes it clear that you have to go through a socialist, socialistic period um, to get to communism because communism is the, is the goal of a, of a Marxist, obviously, right. As a communist. Right. Right. Um, but communism is this thing that comes about through gradual dissolution of capitalism. So capitalism still, you know, the system of capitalism is still around. Um, and it's been around for a while. We, we live in a world like it is ahistorical to think we don't, but we live in a world that has had capitalism. So you have to integrate, um, you almost have to integrate capitalism into your socialism before it becomes full communism, which is, you know, even what the Soviet Union tried to do uh, right. with state-run socialism. And then um, Stalin kind of fucked that up. But um, right. And he, uh, he even says, and basically what you're, what I, tying into what you just said, and I'm going to use a little bit of my own words and some of when it's here, but Basically, he likes he's use he uses the words uh, fuller democracy here in this section a lot. Like mm-hmm. he says, like democracy and then full democracy. So he's distincting. Uh, he even says after that uh, that long quote from the Commune about uh, the Civil War in Paris, he says um, this is, the Commune was exactly a case of quanti- qu- quantity being transformed into quality. Um, democracy introduced as fully consistently as it is all conceivable is transformed from bourgeoisie 
into proletarian democracy, basically from the state uh, into something that which is no longer the state proper. So yeah, it's like it's it's the transition of going from you know a uh, this state and this uh, this bourgeois uh, state into a more uh, into a more fuller he says fuller democracy. So like like you said, you're going into Socialism, which is, I would say, is way more democratic than, you know, uh, what we consider a democracy right now, or a lot of people consider what our current democracy is. So, yeah, you go from socialism, which is way more, you know, democratic, and then you go into full democracy, which I would even think he's referring to as like a commune, you know, like communism. So, yeah, I think uh, I like I like his I like his verbiage there, you know, full democracy or full communism. Uh, go hand in hand really yeah um you know and he he criticizes uh you know in this third part he talks about the destruction of parliamentarianism um because he says that you know uh he says unfortunately uh ministers and professional parliamentarians traitors to the proletariat and the socialist sharks of our day have left all the criticism of parliamentarianism to the anarchists and on this wonderfully intelligent ground denounce all criticism of parli- parliamentarianism as anarchism. Um, so uh, what's interesting about this is like, I think it's uh, I'm not sure if it's later, it might've been former like in the book, but he talks about how um, it's funny that like America and England both are considered like two of the freer, um, the freer, uh, countries and um they both have a like a almost like a parliamentary system where it's like a you know representative democracy and how that's like kind of antithetical to uh democracy yeah it is um so he says that um revolutionary dialectics was never the empty fashionable phrase the toy rattle which plekhanov kotsky and the others have made of it marx knew how to break with anarchism ruthlessly for its inability to make use of the stable of bourgeois parliamentarianism, especially at a time when the situation was not revolutionary. At the same time, he knew how to subject parliamentarianism to a really revolutionary slash proletarian criticism. Um, one of the things that he talks about in this part is how anarchists have this idea, which is like, I think he, I, I think he kind of s- believes that it's um, utopian in its in its thought, which is like, um, you remember, I think I said this the last episode and maybe you can, you know, tell me I'm an idiot and I didn't say this, but um, I think I said one of the problems that I have with anarchists is that anarchism is direct, just, it's literally directly opposed to power. Like that's, Right. And like, yeah, yeah, that's, I think you said something like that, but, uh, but I, I think we were, we kind of just touched on how it's, it's not, it doesn't have any conviction or belief in some kind of unity. It's just, it's, it's almost like its soul, its soul is to just oppose any kind of authority. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and his, his, his point, um, being in this part that, uh, uh, anarchists obviously don't like parliamentarianism, but like their solution is destroy government. And at the same time, right. he's like, no, we kind of need, you know, we can't just d- devolve into anarchy because that's not a useful political goal. Um, let's see here. Mm-hmm. Well, you're right. I mean, it seems like, 
it's it's easy to make fun of anarchists because anarchy anarchy doesn't seem to really have a goal, and it's almost like you know you can't just be. It's like saying you you're you're against so many things that is you almost you have nothing that you're actually for. You know, it's every any conversation I have with an anarchist, which isn't many. I don't actually know many anarchists. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it just seems to be like they're so anti. Um, state anti-authoritarian, anti-power, anti-parliamentarianism, anti—you know—republic, uh, whatever. But you very, hear, very rarely hear what they're actually for, and what they actually are for is, you know, like a an idea that you can, um, you know, if you leave people to have their own power and their own will or whatever, the, the, whatever anarchists think. Um, it, it loses any kind, of, yeah. It loses any kind of philosophical or political goal. It just becomes to be an anti-goal, you know. And that's, you know, it, to, to me that just that doesn't seem like any kind of conviction. It's just you know, you see something bad, or you see something, and you see shades of something else in one thing, or and then you just instantly become anti. So it's, so yeah, it doesn't it doesn't even feel like it chases towards an actual concrete political like. So, you know, utopian goal or a, or a commune is just the goal is just to be, you know, anti-authority. Yeah. Um, he uh, he also says like later, he says <clears throat> there's no trace of utopianism in Marx in the sense of inventing or imagining a new society. He says, no, he studies <clears throat> as a process of natural history, the birth of the new society from the old, uh, the forms of transition from the latter to the former. So one of the things that um, Lenin talks about with regards to like anarchists is that um, anarchists, they like kind of don't have like this vision of uh, society, like getting transformed, you know, from like right. one to the other. There's no like historical development in it. Um, right. So one of the things like Marx is kind of like branded as this utopian because he like, he kind of <laughs> quote, like quote unquote dreams of like a new world or whatever. Um, but he, uh, he, um, doesn't, you know, he kind of like charters this like development of society. Right. Right. Yeah. He says we are not utopians, uh, shortly after what you just pulled from, he says, we are not utopians. We don't dream of dispensing at once with all administration and subordination. Um, but that's what he's basically says, you know, that's an anarchist dream is to, to be this, you know, massive dreamer, utopian person. Um, but you know, we, we he says no. We want a socialist revolution with people as they are now, with people who cannot dispense with subordination, control, and uh, foremen and the accountants. Yeah, um, <laughs> he even says uh, uh, we are not utopians. We do not indulge in dreams yeah. of how best to do away immediately with all administration. These anarchist dreams, based upon a lack of understanding of the task of the proletarian dictatorship are basically foreign to Marxism. And as a matter of fact, they serve, but to put off the socialist revolution until human nature is different. Yep. Um, I also really like this, um, this, this concept that he introduces in, in this chapter. I think he might've introduced in the last chapter too, but he talks about how everything is going to be reduced to working man's wages. And he says that like, <laughs> it seems like, okay, you're talking about like minimum wage. I think, no, he's saying that like, um, there's going to be a dissolution of like an elite, like um, bourgeois and petty bourgeois. Um, way. So 
working man's wage in this in this instance would be what a man needs to you know like like mark says each according to his ability each according to his need um right so and the, but he I, I do like this too because this concept is foreign to people because it's like oh well people can't just not work right no i agree with you but like have you ever met like a human being before like humans do right. like work you know it's right. not like we can't just sit around on our asses all day. Like no one actually likes to do that. You know, they like to keep their yeah. mind engaged. And the thing is like, if you're doing socially ne uh, necessary work, then people will, you know, enjoy it. And, and that's the thing. Like, you know, he says that there will be moderately paid managers, quote unquote, but they'll, they'll have like, you know, technical knowledge, um, mm -hmm. you know, and, and with, of, of all sorts, types and degrees, but like, there's not going to be an elite class, which is, um, you know, and he, <laughs> I like this. Uh, Lenin is one step away from becoming a, a true cell. He says, uh, an order which has nothing to do with wage slavery. I'm just like, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. hey, wagey, wagey, get back in the cagey. Just, you know, <laughs> like, if yeah. uh, Lenin busts out wage cuck, then that would be the, you know, the best, um, <laughs> the best thing. So, um, section four, I don't really have a lot to say about section four. Do you have anything to say about section four, really? No, I just because uh, to me, he just talks about anarchism and Marx with regards to Marxism. Yeah, and other than that, it's 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 like abolishing parliamentarianism. It's just it's you know, parliamentarianism is essentially the state, you know, and and I think you know it's just more of more of the same of what we're saying here, and uh, the state being. A complex uh, administration. Um, but one thing I do like that he says in this section is, um, let me see here. I just like the ending of the section, to be honest, where he talks about um, the opportunists of contemporary social democracy do not on any account want to hear of destroying the state power or cutting off the parasite. Yeah. And, and then, I mean, there's that, there's parasite being used again. And the next section of these is, you know, is even. Abolition of the uh, of the parasite state. You know, we we see. Uh, I like that we're calling capitalism a parasitic system, and I think it's a really good. I think it's a really good metaphor to use because what what better way to describe a a leeching you know system that really sucks the 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 humanity out of you more than you know comparing it to a parasite, but. Um, yeah. Here's where here's where Lenin actually <clears throat> at the end of that section where he actually um talks about anarchism in the way that I thought of anarchism for the longest time. But Lenin, like I said, philosophy and, and theory is um it's basically like your own thoughts, like <laughs> a lot of times given to you in a better way. And you're like, damn, all right, like when yeah, you Yeah, you make that connection, yeah. He says the anarchists turned away from the question of political forms altogether. The opportunists of modern social democracy accepted the bourgeois political forms of a parliamentary democratic state as the limit which cannot be overstepped. They broke their foreheads praying before this idol, denouncing as anarchism every attempt to destroy these forms. Marx deducted from the whole history of socialism and political struggle that the state was bound to disappear and that the tr transitional form of its disappearance, the transition from the political state to no state, would be the proletariat organized as the ruling class. 
But Marx did not undertake the task of discovering the political forms of this future stage. He limited himself to an exact observation of French history, its analysis, and the conclusion to which the year 1851 had led, viz., that matters were moving forward to the destruction of the bourgeois machinery of the state. Um, so one of the things that he, t- you know, like, and that we've said is the difference between an, and it's kind of hard to, to tell a lot of the times, but the difference mm. between an anarchist and a Marxist is that a Marx, Marx believes in the gradual withering away of the state in a transitionary period. Whereas anarchists believe in destroying the state as a whole itself. Right. Mm. Like right. anarchism is literally like, no rules in place and, and marxism is like no we need mm-hmm. we kind of need society you know uh, the, there's a difference between the state and society right mm-hmm. anarchism yeah, is the, we, mm-hmm. right yeah I, we need people we need people talking about our society and and, and trying to drive it forward and, and make it better and we don't just need people <laughs> we don't just need to leave people alone and, and hope for the best and say that human nature is good enough to survive on its own you know yeah, and that's that's something that like even Lenin, you know, kind of like says it's like, um, hey, listen, like, you know, anarchism wants to change essentially human nature, which is like, we, I mean, every society has organized itself into a different thing, right? Like even right. free capitalist societies have had some type of organization, but anarchism is directly opposed to any type of hierarchy. So, um, <clears throat> you kind of need a withering away of the state power. Um, in that mm-hmm. regard. So, um, right. chapter four. Uh, you ready for chapter four? Yeah, yeah I've got it pulled up here. Okay, so um, <clears throat> this chapter four is called Supplementary Explanations by Engels. Um, so it says Marx gave the fundamentals on the question of the meaning of the experience of the commune. Engels returned to the same question repeatedly, elucidating Marx's analysis and conclusions, sometimes so forcibly mm-hmm. throwing other sides of the question into relief that we must dwell on these explanations separately. Here, this is really interesting. Here he talks about the housing question, right? And this is a big, a big, uh, um, did you ever read that book by Terry Eagleton? The, um, I think it's called Why Marx is Right. And it's like, when people talk about Marxism, it's like they have a bunch of questions. Oh, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Did you, did you read that book? No, it's just on my shelf. <laughs> Okay, yeah, I love that meme that you sent me. By the way, about the uh, yeah, commune. about the the literature oh, just sitting on your shelf. The guy, yeah. the guy who's like the crystal ball seer, and he's just like, yeah. I see in your future just a bunch of unread communist literature. He's like, yeah. wow, that's a lot of <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but um, here Ingalls is talking about how there is a antagonism antagonism between town and country, and through um. He says uh, there there would be this abolition of the antagonism between town and country, and he says it's not, and this is Ingalls's words quoted by Lenin, as it is not our business to make any utopian systems for the organization of the society of the future. It would be more than idle to go into this, but this much at least is certain that in the large towns there are already enough dwelling houses. If these were made rational use of to immediately relieve any real housing uh, shortage. So this can be done by the expropriation of the present mm-hmm. owners and by quartering in their houses workers who are homeless or are excessively overcrowded in the present quarters. And as soon as the proletariat has conquered political power, such a measure demanded in the interests of public welfare would be as easy to carry through as other expropriations and quarterings by the state of today. Mm-hmm. So Ingalls essentially is saying there's plenty of fucking houses. 
<laughs> why are yeah, some exactly people- like I, I was just gonna say i mean i think somebody on uh somebody posted uh, a statistic on twitter like it's insane but like it was i think he said in the united states alone there's like a hundred and oh, probably more than that i think he said almost like 172,000 vacant homes <laughs> yeah and that's just like and that's just what he can count based off what he's found i mean there's there's probably way more than that just and not that's just homes like a lot like houses that are on little properties and not apartment complexes that have vacant units you know um, yeah um the biggest thing about this is like um that we read earlier was that marx essentially and, and like it's ridiculous because you can like he doesn't believe that you should abolish like having a home like and i think even maybe lennon talks about this too where it's like there's already like an abolition of people having homes because they're getting bought mm-hmm. up and destroyed you know so that's the biggest thing he wants to you know he wants to keep people from buying multiple houses and owning multiple houses and profiting off of right. houses you know yeah it's it's the it's this uh i, I was i was gonna say uh think about it like so there was this big there was this big thing that went around uh that people were talking about and it was like just this uh, article about how 2020 was like a big uh it was a big uh housing boom and so basically just to quickly break this down what actually happened was people who already owned homes continued to buy more and more homes people who could afford to buy several properties continued to buy several more properties so now essentially think of it like it's it's the people who can afford to buy all of this land just scalping it up i mean that's what they are they're scalpers and so this housing boom that we had just this last year was when the rich got richer all it really meant was the you know the the entrepreneurs the capitalists the the venture capitalists of our of our society just continued to build upon their empire by buying more land. So this big housing boom that's going around on, 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 you know, headlines and articles is bullshit. It's just, it's just the richer getting richer is what it really is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, It's uh, it's dumb. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, and that's really, I think, you know, scalping and the scalping and, 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 uh, parasitic you know leeches that's it's a really great metaphor and you know it's it's funny because a lot of people that you know scalping is it, it sucks especially you know the the nearest example we have is you know the playstation 5 release and then all of the fucking you know people buying like shit tons of them and selling them for insane amounts i mean that's you, you just i mean if, if people need to i don't understand how the you can't uh f- understand that that's essentially what you know the ruling class does but they do it with capital they do it with the means of you know our our lives and they do it with the means of production they they do the exact same thing it's just you know imagine instead of them just buying out like all of walmart stock of a playstation 5 they're just buying out fucking giant you know properties and and land and you know turning them into into uh properties and then charging and setting them out for rent so yeah i mean it's it's the same it's the same system that we just see an extension of you know on a bigger scale right um but yeah there's there's tons of there's tons of houses and you know there's i think here in in new mexico alone like an insanely underpopulated state 
has an insanely amount of vacant areas and like it's absolutely insane how many buildings we have like just down the road from me here there's just this giant empty plaza that i know like homeless people uh and homeless they gather at you know to stay warm but like you know w- for some reason we have to we have to you know put you know tens of thousands of dollars into into weird smaller little units like this weird project we just finished here is this place called like uh I don't, it was like tiny, it's like tiny spaces or something like that. It's for people who, you know, just are looking for a, a temporary spot. But we just finished uh, the, the city that is, when I say we, the city of Albuquerque, just finished building this this small, I mean, it's tiny. So, I mean, these, these, these units are probably like 600 square feet, you know, and they've got a bathroom and a bedroom, kind of like a, like a, a loft. And there's like, there's like 30 of them on like this little, a little, this little land of a couple of acres. And they'd rather we're we're putting our money towards that instead of you know do putting a couple of grand into this abandoned building and just making it like a livable shelter for some people who just need a roof over their heads. It's fucking insane, right? Um, yeah, it's crazy. Um, so uh, yeah, so he talks about <laughs> this is where he actually goes off on anarchism in section two, because he talks about how people were labeling Ingalls as an anarchist. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says, uh, uh, he says that they don't blame anarchists for being in favor of the abolition of the state, but for preaching that the state can be abol- abolished within 24 hours. So <laughs> yeah. I think that's the biggest uh, thing in, um, he says that like, let's see. He, they described like they took up a. It says the the polemic took place in 1873. Marx and Engels contributed articles against the proud honus, uh autonomous or anti-authoritarians to an Italian socialist publication. Uh, then there was a 1913 where these articles appeared in a German translation of this magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says here, he talks about this is Marx's writing. Um, they said they uh, they give the state a revolution. Oh wait, where is it? Um, when the political struggle of the working class, wrote Marx, ridiculing the anarchists for their repudiation of political action, <clears throat> assumes a revolutionary form. When the workers set up in place of the dictatorship of the bourgeoisie, the revolutionary dictatorship, then they commit the terrible crime of out of outraging principle, for in order uh, to satisfy their wretched, vulgar everyday needs in order to break down the resistance of the bourgeoisie. They give the state revolutionary and transitional form instead of laying down arms and abolishing the state. He said it was exclusively against this kind of abolition of the state that Marx fought refuting the anarchists. He fought not against the theory of the disappearance of the state when classes disappear or of its abolition when classes have been abolished, but against the proposition that the workers should deny themselves the use of arms, the use of an organized force. Um. Yeah. So, all this entire, obviously, mm-hmm. Lenin anarchist, because this entire section is just literally yeah. anarchist. And, and my favorite little piece is when he's he uh, he's quoting Engels, and it's where he says, um, "Why did the anti-authoritarians not confine themselves to crying out against the uh, political authority of the state?" Socialists agreed that the state, with all with a uh, political authority, will disappear as a result of the coming social revolution that is the public functions will lose their political character yada 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 
And he basically says that uh, have these people ever seen a revolution? <laughs> a revolution is certainly the most authoritarian thing there is. It is an act whereby one part of the population imposes its will upon the part by the means of rifles, bayonets, and cannons. So yeah, it's <laughs> it's funny that like he's saying he's basically saying anarchists are funny because they're being very authoritarian in the in their anti-authoritarianism, you know. <laughs> If they were mm-hmm. to be, you know, if they were to be violent to have a revolution, you know, basically saying, wait a minute. So, like, if we're anti-authority here, like, what is the revolution if not, you know, imposing your authoritative authoritative ideas on others, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I was a little, sorry, I was, like, looking at, at uh, Twitter really quick. Um <laughs> <laughs> Right, basically, yeah, he just basically he just calls anarchists, you know, hypocritical in that, you know, if if they were to become revolutionary, you know, and anti-authoritarian, you know, how do you how do you revolutionize violently against something that you, you know, how do you be anti-authoritarian in in a, an authoritarian sense? Then you're just, you know, you become the one thing that you you hate. Yeah. Um. But yeah. I mean, yeah. He he basically says it's. He's he was you know they're saying how he it's you know they're they're easy to make fun of for us and Ingalls and and Lynn are also saying yeah it's really easy to make fun of them because they don't know what they're talking about right yeah it's uh it's very you uh it's very utopian in yeah. there which is uh you know I have like a lot of um stuff highlighted in this um in this section but it's all like <laughs> like the same thing over and over so it's like it's literally just like anarchists suck anarchists suck. So, um, I don't have anything to say about section three. Do you letter to Bebel? No, I don't. Um, cause I don't know who that is. And also like, I just didn't really care a lot about this section. It was just kind of, uh, it's a short section. Um, you know, uh, it's about this guy who printed this pamphlet and I think, I guess he was a, so a German social Democrat and they had this, um, yeah, and and I think basically the, you know, in in short, the guy was critical of, of of Marx's ideas and and basically being a social democrat and being you know a little more liberal. I think, you know, he basically just says, uh, what what I see here is what Lenin. The only thing I've really pulled in from this is when he basically says that uh, this this guy uh, this critic is like you know a, a barking dog or someone you know a howler you know these people just kind of bark and you know it's it's like the it's 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 the re- repetition of always blaming the left for for most things when you know you you fear what someone says so you know you tend to you tend to point the finger and say you know the left is yada 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 it's what it's always been so it's just more of that, really, you know, and, and Lennon's just saying, you know, he's just pointing the finger because, you know, he's scared of what the left, you know, has to say and stuff like that. Right. Um, so in, in the fourth section, though, criticism of the draft of the Erfurt program, I can't pronounce that. It's a foreign word. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's this is interesting because uh he actually has a book titled this so this is the first time he he brought this up he says um here we have the most essential in the theoretical appreciation of the latest phase of capitalism i.e imperialism viz that viz that capitalism becomes monopoly capitalism um 
Yeah, and he he, you know, he talks about how he's like this fact must be emphasized because the bourgeois reformist view that monopoly capitalism or state monopoly capitalism is no longer capitalism can but can already be termed state socialism or something of that sort is a very widespread error. He says they don't, of course, have not created, do not create now, and cannot create full and complete planning. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, he, I think this Earth Earthert program, um, he says Kotsky synthesis, uh, or or the Earth, this the criticism of the draft of the Earthert program sent by Engels to Kotsky. A criticism published only 10 years later cannot be overlooked. It mainly concerned with the opportunistic views of the social democracy regarding questions of state organization. Um, I think, I think the Erfurt program and the criticism that was leveled at it was that, uh, and especially social democracy is that there is this socialism aspect of that we can entrust to joint stock companies um and branch like people who control branches of industry um but he's like essentially uh ingles is like nah fam that that cannot be you can't you can't mm-hmm. let you can't let um bourgeois institutions control um control yeah, prob- i'm gonna read a little bit more on that because it's uh They've got a, a on Marxist.org, they've got a piece uh, from the German history and documents. Um, and the, the UFER program is just a social, you know, democratic system that they uh, adopted. But I'll read a little bit more on that to, to, get, to get a better understanding of it. But yeah, it was just kind of more of like a, I guess, a more socially democratic uh, movement. Yeah. Yeah, in I Germany, really, I guess. Yeah, yeah, Democratic Party of Germany, yeah. I really have um have nothing more left in this chapter, really. I think the last thing that I highlighted was like at the end of the like the very end of the chapter. Um he talks about like how and this is I think this is pretty important actually. I, I emphasize this. Um he says the question of the name of the party is un- incomparably less important. And the question of the relation of the revolutionary proletariat to the state. So I think that's that's interesting. He's like, no matter what you call it, and I think there's been a lot of talk, like with different podcasts and stuff, talking about how, um, you know, I think that you kind of have to. We might actually like going mm-hmm. forward, if you want to like have a quote unquote Marxist like revolutionary politics, you're probably going to have to get rid of that term like Marxism or um, socialism or communism because it's just so it's such a dirty word. You know, in American yeah. minds, that you might have to right. like, create a new revolutionary politics. You're going to have to not call it that, um, right? And I think that's I think Lenin's perfectly fair in, in stating like it's regardless of what you call it, right? You, you can call it Marxism, you can call it whatever till the till the cows come home. It doesn't matter. Um, it just what matters is like the the theories themselves in Marxism, which I agree right. with. And he says that um. He says, no, democracy is not identical with the subordination of the minority to the majority. Democracy is a state recognizing the subordination of the minority to the majority, i.e. an organization for the systemic use of violence by one class against the other, by one part of the population against another. So here he's talking about, like, I guess, really existing democracy, 
which is like right. the concept of democracy is that the people vote like in popular, you know, whatever is popular wins. But in, in Lenin's case, he's talking about how democracy is actually, you know, is a state that submits um, like the, the majority of the population to the minority's whims. Right. Which in, in this case, he's talking about right. like economic majority and minorities. Right. Obviously. I just, you know, need to state that um, uh, because the thing is, like, he talks about this a lot in this book, but um, you have to realize that, like, the majority of people are working class. There's not, you know, they're like, quote unquote, the people. Right. That's why it's called the pe- the people, um, because like aristocrats and, and bureaucrats and, and all the other ats, you know, technocrats. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. They're the minority of people. There's less bourgeoisie than there's proletariat. You know, less bourgeoisie than there's peasants. There's not, again, there's not really peasants anymore, but still, um, the people far out way, like, that's why I was like the, the 1%, right? Hmm. Versus like the Occupy Wall Street movement said we are the 99%, which means like we're the majority of people because like we're all working class. Um, which is true. Most people, most people are working class. So it's kind of a ridiculous system where you have that. It works better for, you know, 1% of the population that does for 99% of the population. But then the 1% is the ones that have the money and have the power. So, um, but mm-hmm. also I really like this in order to emphasize this element of habit, Engels speaks of a new generation reared upon the new and free social conditions, which will be able to throw on the scrap heap all the state rubbish, every kind of state, including even the Democratic Republican state. Um, you know, and then he talks about how you have to a- analyze, which is the next chapter, but we, we won't get into that. You have to analyze the withering away of the state, right? Um, but Engels essentially talks about here that you need to um <clears throat> that there is this like goal which is like is a, any self-respecting like marxist or communist right their goal is the eventual withering away of the state and it's like um you know he doesn't he doesn't say our generation right he says then he says engel speaks of a new generation right which is mm-hmm. he's like the <laughs> And, and, you know, obviously, you know, Ingalls, you know, it's been a long time since Ingalls' generation, but like, um, there is, a, it is an ongoing, like, historical struggle, right? I mean, the history of struggles, class struggle, like Mark says, right? So, right. yeah. So I think um, that's, that's all I kind of wanted to say about these two chapters, though. Um, I like the, I'll have to say, like, my, I guess my final thoughts on this are that, like, I liked uh, chapter three better than chapter four, but the reason why is because chapter four kind of reiterates and hits home a lot of the points that chapter three already discussed. So yeah, it's just, it's just you know, it's uh, and I it, you know, the best part about chapter four is you know the uh, criticism of you know anarchists and you know <laughs> and, how, and how easy it is to just just kind of shake your head and, and call them out on their bullshit. But yeah, but yeah, you know. Uh, um yeah chapter three is really good uh i think it's probably one of the it's probably the 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 best uh or maybe it's the more concrete of the of the chapters so far it's got a lot of mean potatoes in it it's it's got a lot of uh a clear cut you know um you know i i I like that he he's not he's not afraid of the word democracy and you know i think there's this uh 
I think a lot of a lot of communists and leftists today, you know, they hear they hear democracy and you know they it's it's automatically associated with you know being a a tool of you know capitalism, but uh, you know the a few a, a true you know fine tuned quality democracy is you know at some point it's very socialist and then it, it withers into a uh, or it kind of molds into a more you know communal system. And I think uh, I think that's really my highlight of the, the two sections is. Um, kind of, kind of just hearing that word, you know, democracy, and and hearing Lenin kind of say, you know, you know, put, putting it under a microscope and say, you know, well, what kind of democracy, you know, is this a, is this like a a, a democratic state system, you know, where, where you know, uh, a few select people are choosing and and pulling the strings of democracy, or you know, or is this like, you know, is this like a a democracy where the voices of of working people and their lives are taken into consideration and we want to up you know, we want those people to be uplifted and we want them to um you know, to for it to be a fully, you know, democratic state, you know, the more democratic it is, the more you, you don't realize it, you know, it's more socialist or it's more, you know, communal. So I think uh I think those, you know, the big the big points for me there. Yeah, um, yeah, I, uh, I, I, I think that, um, I think one of the best parts about this entire section is that he, he kind of discusses and is kind of like, obviously, I think you need two chapters to, uh, to kind of discuss this, but he kind of talks about the, the utopianism of like anarchism, right? Which mm-hmm. is, obviously like a bad thing he talks about that but then he talks about like marx is like a you know he kind of just says hey this is how a marxist society right because it's called state and revolution so it's about you know the state and it's about how revolution will transform the state and by transform mm-hmm. i mean like absolutely abolish eventually the mm-hmm. withering way um but he talks about how it's not utopian to kind of like have that transistory period you know like right. from one from one system to another, you kind of need that system. Cause like I said, we live in a world where capitalism's already existed. So we have to reckon with it. We have to, we have to deal with capitalism, you know? So. Right. Yeah. Bada boom, bada bing. You got it. But I think that's the last thing that I wanted to say. So do you have anything else to say? Nope. That's all I got. Okay. So, uh, next, uh, week or well, actually in two weeks, next time, I guess I should say, uh, we will be finishing state and revolution with, um, chapters five and six so i guess we will um see you guys then yep catch you later